All right, welcome to week three of Anything Goes. This is the message series where we ask questions, really you asked questions. Uh, people submitted questions about God's word, about what we believe, uh, questions of, of life and practical living, questions of faith. And we're trying to go through and answer those. And this week, there's a really good one uh, that we're going to answer. Several people ask questions like this, but this is the one we picked to answer. And the question was, how do I deal with regrets from my past? How do I deal with regrets from, from my past? It's one that I think a lot of us have at different levels. Uh, we, we all carry forward with this regrets at some level about our lives. It's interesting that, that this week we're asking this question. Uh, I spent most of this week laying in bed sick. I don't know if I had the flu or the bubonic plague. It felt a lot more like the plague. I just felt terrible. I was in bed for like 65 to 70 hours, almost straight, uh, hardly getting up at all. And of course, while I'm lying there, I'm feeling bad. I'm, I'm trying to pass the time, but my mind's also going and I'm thinking a lot. And there'd be times I'd feel bad. I'd, I'd be kind of groaning to myself a little bit. I felt so bad. And then I would remember something I had done in the past and I would, I would groan like even out loud because of the thing. It'd be small stuff. It'd be small stuff. Just like dumb mistakes I made, things I said. Your brain's just going and thinking about stuff. Uh, thinking about things I wish I had done, things I didn't do, things I said I didn't say. Just running through things. Uh, stuff, stuff like, and this is like one of those recurring regrets in my life. Super small. Right? I'm going to be honest, super small. One of the recurring regrets in my life is one time I... I'd, took my roommates out. I had this gift card to go to a steakhouse and I took them all out to go to the steakhouse. And it came time to pay. Everybody had ordered steaks and stuff. I was going to pay with this gift card, anything extra they would cover. And I couldn't find the gift card. And to this day, I just feel bad about that. I'll let the guys down. And I just, I think about that sometimes. I go, oh, oh. And that's like, that's like the lowest, the smallest of the regrets I have. And they build up from there. If you're like me, you, you have regrets. You got things in your life that you've done and you wish you hadn't and things you wish you had done that you didn't do. And these sit with us. I think a lot of us, if we're being honest with ourselves and, and give ourselves time to slow down and, and just reflect on life, would say that there are some serious regrets that we have, some things we've done, which we're not proud of, we don't want to think about, we, we have to deal with, though. In, in our lives, there's, there's really two categories for regrets. We're going to deal with both, although we're going to deal with the second one a lot more today. The two categories of regrets, the first category is regrets that come from mistakes we've made, mistakes we've made, things we've, things we've done that, that aren't sinful, but, but they were mistakes. A lot of times these mistakes are, occur around relationships. Maybe uh, you, you did something to somebody, you didn't try to, it wasn't sinful, that you didn't like, you didn't overtly do something, but you just acted away or ended a relationship which shouldn't have been ended. And in retrospect, you wish you hadn't done it, but you did. Or maybe you, you pursued a romantic relationship that you just, you just knew you shouldn't have pursued, but you pursued it anyway, and you regret that decision. I have a regret that, that kind of sits with me. Back in college, I, I thought of this guy who was really influential in my life. His name was Paul. He was really influential in my life when I was in junior high and high school. He helped out with our youth group. He was an adult. And, and we had kind of fallen apart. We hadn't talked in years. And I thought about him, and I thought, man, I should reach out to Paul and just let him know how much I appreciated his mentorship and his friendship uh, across those kind of formative years of my life. And, of course, I had that thought and then didn't. And then within about six months, Paul had he died, had a, had a heart attack, I think, and he passed away. And I just I, to this day, I wish I had reached out one more time. I'll, I'll see him in heaven someday, but I wish I had reached out one more time and just said, hey, Paul, thanks for all that you did to speak into my life. So maybe you have relationships at that level, or maybe you have regrets at that level of relationships. Maybe you have regrets at the level of career decisions. 
You know, you wish you had studied this thing in college, but you'd studied something else, and so you started down that other path. You wish you had taken that job, but you didn't take that job. Uh, maybe you have regrets at the level of, of your finances. Like you wish you had made a different financial choice, wish you hadn't gone into debt in that way. Uh, to this day, I, I wish I had invested money in certain ways. I wish I had gotten on you know, the Bitcoin train when it was like first starting off, or I wish that I'd invested in Amazon back in the day. I'm kicking myself two years ago, I was about to invest in some Facebook stock when it was really low, and it I would have made so much money. It would have more than doubled the money that I had, and I didn't do it. Right? There's like regrets that we have. They're, they're, they're mistakes. And these mistakes can sit with us. They're not, they're not sinful things, but they're mistakes. And, and probably the biggest way that, that I've found to, to handle some of these regrets in my life that are mistakes but not sinful is to trust my past self. Just trust who I was at the time. I was doing the best with what I had and give myself some grace. But then there's this whole other level of regrets that come from sins we have committed, ways we have dishonored God and rejected Him, ways that we have dishonored other people and we have rejected them and harmed them, ways we used our words to cut down and tear down and rip apart, ways that we have sinfully harmed relationships and broken relationships, ways that we have abused other people, ways that we have cheated or lied and used, used uh, our influence to gain for ourselves and put down other people. This is, this is a whole different level of regret. It's, it's sin that we've committed. And the truth is every single one of us has committed sins and at some level has something we wish we could change about how we have treated other people. So how do we deal with these regrets of both kinds, mistakes and sins? So I want to go to God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to start off in verse 1 of Philippians 3. Now, Philippians uh, is, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And he writes this letter to, to encourage them to address some, some issues they're potentially having within their church and also to encourage them to have joy. And this is what he's, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1. It's going to take a second to see how this connects back to regrets, but we're going to get there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice. Uh, I rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. Where did the, he's, he's saying rejoice, and now he's saying, look out for the dogs. He's talking about people who came in, Christian teachers, who said that in order to be a Christian, you had to be circumcised. Now, this sounds weird to us in our world today, but back at this time, to be a Jew, to be a, a Jewish male, meant that you were circumcised. And there was a whole wing of the early church that was Jewish, and they said, to be a Christian, you had to be a full Jew, you had to be circumcised. That's what God's law said. And Paul is pushing back against this. He pushes back against the strongest in Galatians, but he also pushes back against it here. So he says, look out for the dogs. He's talking about those who come in. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Verse 3, for we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Well, I love what Paul does next. He says, don't put any confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And so he's going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe and talk about his life and his past and who he was and compare it and say, Here, here's how good it was compared to these people coming in saying you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He goes through his credentials. As a Jewish person, Paul had the best credentials. He trained with the best people. He was a Pharisee, which means he was absolutely committed to doing God's law and leading the way in doing God's law. He says, under the law, I was blameless. I, I followed it. I, I did what it said. He was, he was of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says, but he was also of the tribe of Benjamin. And, and the tribe of Benjamin is where the first king of Israel, King Saul, was from. It was one of the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, which stayed faithful to God's covenant with David. And they, they were the ones that all the other ten tribes were taken off into captivity. But these two tribes were able to return from captivity. And so he, he is, he's of the best tribe of the Jewish people. He, he lived, it, lived out the law perfectly. He said, according to the flesh, I have done more. I've done it all. But verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul, Paul's pushing back against this, this view that you have to be circumcised to be a Christian, but he's making a bigger point here. And his bigger point is our righteousness. In other words, our right relationship with God and being seen by God as being in a right place. It doesn't come from us doing everything right. It doesn't come from our performance. right? We depend on Christ for righteousness, not our performance. And that's the first big idea I want you to grab hold of today when it comes to regret. We depend on Christ for righteousness, not our performance. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. Conversely, our past and the things we've done in our past neither qualify us, but they also don't disqualify us from being able to have a relationship with Christ if it's through faith. And this is really what begins to trip up a lot of people, trip up a lot of us, is that we think that our performance, especially in the past, our past performance is tied to our relationship with God in terms of can he forgive us? Can he? What you've done in the past, right before you've come to Christ in, in forgiveness and repentance, is, is separate from what Christ has done in your life now. Your righteousness comes from Christ. This is so easy to forget. It's easy to... Um, avoid this or look the other way on this because we, we don't really take seriously often our sin before Christ and then what Christ has done apart from us. There was a, a young man named Minkaya. Minkaya was born in South America. He was part of this tribe, even though he, was, he lived in the, uh, well, he's, he's actually still alive today, but he lived throughout the 20th century. I think like the 19, he was born like the 1950s. Um, he, he lived there as a young man, and, and he, these, these, these people, these Westerners, these white Americans landed, and they were missionaries to come reach his tribe. And the tribe knew they had landed, and they were concerned about these outside people coming in. They hadn't had interaction with outside people before, um, hadn't spoken to them before. The, the tribe actually had a reputation for being really savage. That was the, the name everyone else called them as savage, just because of how brutal of a tribe that they were. 
And so Minkiah knew that they had landed. Minkiah and several other people went to them because they thought, we've got to fight them off. And they went to them. There were five Americans there. And Minkiah went with some other guys and killed all of them. These American missionaries who had just come in to, to help them. Uh, two of them, in particular, Minkiah personally killed. A guy named Ed and a guy named Nate. And he was the one who, who killed them with a spear. Well, fast forward a little bit. Relatives of these missionaries who had died came to the tribe and led them to Christ. So think about this. Minkiah was one of the guys who had killed two of the missionaries. And then, then relatives there come in and begin to communicate the gospel to this tribe, the Waodani people. And through communicating the gospel, a lot of them become Christians, including Minkiah. Now, can you imagine, right? You, you're, you're one of the people who was killed, a family member of, of these people coming in now to share the gospel. And, and you know, and they know what you've done, and you know what you've done. Like, how are you going to handle that? But Minkiah put his trust in Jesus and knew that his, his sin had been taken away. Continue on a little bit. Minkiah actually adopted, um, kind of within the tribal system, adopted uh, the, the son of one of the guys he killed. His name is Steve Saint. He had killed the dad's name was Nate. And he adopted Steve Saint as his son within the tribe and raised him like his father. And then Steve eventually moved down there uh, later on as an adult. And Minkiah adopted his grandkids as well. And Minkiah right, was able to do this and not live in that regret and live in the shame because he knew that his righteousness was not based on his performance. It was based on what Christ has done. He was depending on Christ for righteousness, not his own performance. And too many of us are stuck in a mentality and we're living in regret because we think that we have to earn or we have to perform or we have to create to get to the level God wants us to be. We, we can't. That's all it is. We, we can't perform to that level. Christ has to do it in us. My own life is interesting. I, I was raised in an amazing Christian family and really raised in a lot of ways where I got to avoid a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the pitfalls and challenges a lot of us face in life. So I certainly didn't live a perfect life. I have sinned um, and fallen short of God's glory. But I also got to avoid a lot of the things that many of us live in regret about. I know a lot of stories and testimonies within Foundry Church. And like my life doesn't include a lot of the, the harder parts of these stories. By God's grace and through the grace that he's given my parents and and so it's easy for someone like me to, to come to the righteousness of Christ and, and to still struggle to receive it because I want to create and have this really good life, right? Like that, that God has, has built, like I want to I I base it on my performance. I've actually realized the people who can receive Christ's grace and his righteousness the most are often those who are most aware of the depths of their sin. And when you've lived a, a pretty good life, it's easy to ignore the depths of your sin. It's still there, but you can just ignore it. And I think in my life, it's been such a process for me to grab hold of this truth. I have to depend on Christ's righteousness, not my own performance. Because I was raised in such a way that like, hey, follow God and do what he wants. And so I was, I was like welcomed into that. But now I've, I've struggled with it on the other side. And here's what happens to a lot of us. Uh, this is Paul in another letter, 2 Corinthians. In my Bible, it's just like 12 pages before you can flip back to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul says this. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. In other words, if you have grief in your life from things that you've done, uh, if it's a godly grief, it's going to produce repentance where you actually turn from that. You give up. You have a change of mind, a change of heart around what you have done. And that's going to lead to what Paul says is a salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces 
death. And so if, if you're wrestling with what's been done in the past, what you need to like, let that regret do is lead you to truly repenting, truly receiving the righteousness of Christ because of all that he's done and not because of what you've done. And that's, that's the, really the major step you have to take. And, and Paul says that should produce a salvation without any regret. But if, if you live in this worldly grief where you don't have a hope and your, your only hope is your performance, that's going to lead to spiritual death. All right, so the, the first level we have to understand if we're wrestling with, with regret is that we depend on Christ's righteousness, not our performance. But let's read on because we kind of stopped mid-sentence in, in what Paul was saying in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick it back up in verse 10. Right? We depend on the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the second thing that, that Paul says is this. He says, not only do I depend on Christ for righteousness and not my performance, but he says, I replace my past with God's future, right? What he's looking forward to is that the resurrection from the dead that's going to come to all of us and to those of us who are in Christ will be resurrected to eternal life when Jesus comes again. So that, that's what he's looking forward to. And he says, I'm not already there. I haven't been resurrected yet. I'm not living that life yet. Uh, when he says, I'm not already perfect, that's what he means. He says, I'm not already like in heaven. I'm not already living in eternity. But, but here's what I do, he says. Verse 13, he says, forgetting what's behind and straining and pushing forward, right? Straining for the upward call of God in Christ. So he, he says, I forget what's behind. I'm pushing forward to what's ahead. Now, Paul has already talked about what's behind, just a little bit. He talked about all his credentials, to be a good Jew. But one of the things that he talked about is how he persecuted Christians. That's part of Paul's story. And it wasn't just that. Paul, Paul's story is filled with messiness. Paul starts off, and the first time we meet him, he, he's guarding over the cloaks of people who are stoning Stephen to death. Stephen was the first Christian to give his life for being a Christian outside of Jesus. And so he was, he was overseeing the cloaks. He was kind of overseeing the process of killing Stephen. That's where his story starts, and it gets worse. He's persecuting Christians. He talks about how he voted to kill Christians. He cast a vote, he says, to kill Christians. He was pursuing them. When Jesus encountered him, he was on the way to Damascus to persecute and capture and imprison Christians. That, that was his life. But beyond that, he, he had mistakes, and he had pitfalls. He had things he wrestled with. At one point, he and his close ministry partner, Barnabas, parted ways. They, they split up and they had a disagreement. The Bible says a sharp disagreement, which probably covers up a lot of words that were said back and forth. Paul, Paul had a life filled with mistakes, filled with challenges, filled with sin, probably filled with regrets. Paul wasn't married, didn't have kids. You know, we don't know the circumstances around that, but it may have been something that Paul wanted and he didn't have. And Paul has to, had to deal with that. Paul spent a lot of his life I mean, his time he was actually going around and writing most of the New Testament was the latter years of his life, and it wasn't a really long time. Most, the vast majority of Paul's life, he was either not following Jesus or he was kind of sitting around waiting, 
Paul, Paul may have had regrets about how his life shaped up and the time he had or didn't have to do what he felt like God was calling him to do. But in the middle of all that, Paul says, forgetting what's behind, I press forward to what's ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm setting all that back. I am, I am allowing, I'm replacing my past with the future that Jesus has for me. Right? And somebody needs to hear this today because this is one of the keys to dealing with regret is we just allow it to fade into the background and we put something so much bigger and more important in front of us. We forget what's behind us. We press on to what's ahead, the call that God has for us in Christ. And for some of us, we've, we've stayed stuck and we've stayed immobile. We've, we've been stuck in a regret and stuck in a, a sense of insufficiency, like, like God can't use someone like me. And God's saying, forget what's behind you. Press on to what's ahead of you. I think in the, in the Bible, we have a perfect example of the danger of staying stuck in regret versus moving on to repentance and the future God has. And that's the lives of Judas and Peter, right? So you have Jesus, and he has 12 close followers, his disciples, and Judas is one of them, and Peter is another one. Peter's kind of his closest guy. And Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. And, and he realizes after he's done this that he, he's made a tremendous mistake. He's committed a horrible sin. And so what he does is he goes and lives in that regret, lives in that shame. He goes and commits suicide. He takes his own life. Peter, on the other hand, was with Jesus, and then he flees. He, he didn't betray Jesus, but he fled. He didn't stand with Jesus. And, and then he lies about being a disciple of Jesus to save his, himself. He lies repeatedly about, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't know who he is. I'm not a follower of Jesus. And, and it says in one of the Gospels that after he lied about it, he looked over and he saw Jesus. Jesus saw him. Like, oh, he's living with this deep shame. But what he does is, is he comes back to Jesus in relationship. He goes on to be used by Jesus repeatedly throughout the New Testament. The, the biggest times when he preached on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came and 3,000 people were saved. And, and some of us are stuck in this place where, where it's not clear yet whether we're going to be more like Judas and just not allow ourselves to be used by God and keep ourselves away from him. And, and like 2 Corinthians said, to death, right? I mean, we, we, even if it's not a physical death, it's a, a spiritual death that we, we live in this worldly grief, which leads, Paul says, to death. Or we can do what Peter did, which is allow Jesus to confront us in that and focus on the future that he has for us. And that's where Jesus leaves Peter, is talking with him about the future that he has for him. So, so we, have to, we have to both recognize that our righteousness is based on Christ, not our performance. We also have to replace our past, no matter how bad it is, how messy it is, what you've done, what you've wrestled through, how you've hurt others, allow Christ to replace that with the future God has for us. And the final thing that Paul says here, just a few more verses. He says, let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to what we have attained. That word for hold true, stoikain is, is the Greek word. It can mean to hold true. It can also mean to walk or to live or to prosper. That's the same word used in Galatians 5 when, when Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. Right? We're going to walk with the Spirit. We're going to hold fast to the Spirit. We're going to live in the Spirit. And so really, this is, this is a, a command, a challenge by Paul to keep 
walking, to keep walking in what God has already done. He says, hold fast to what you've attained. In other words, don't discount what God has already done in your life. Don't look, don't look to your past and say, oh man, like all, the, all those regrets, and I don't know if I can do anything today, and I'm living in the regret of that. Like, forget that. Let that be behind you, and now focus on what's in front of you, and then keep walking in what Christ has already done. Hold fast to what you've already attained. Keep walking in what you have already done. And the biggest temptation with regret is to allow our regret to become our future and to, to discount and forget all that God has done. But Paul says, no, keep walking in it. Keep going forward in it. And this is the value of your testimony. I talk to so many people and they're ashamed about their testimony. They're ashamed about what they were before Christ. On the one hand, good. We want to be ashamed of who we were before Christ transformed us. On the other hand, our testimony highlights and magnifies the grace and the righteousness and the goodness of God. And so we should be able to celebrate it. And that's what Paul does. Paul says, and this is, a, this is really, it slips by you if you're just reading this in the English. But Paul says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. That word mature is interesting. It's the word, Greek word teleos. It can mean mature. That's a good translation. It can also mean complete. It can mean whole. It can mean perfect. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect, he uses the same word. Actually, think a better translation than mature here would be let those of us who are complete or those of us who are whole spiritually think this way. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm complete. I'm like all that God wants for me to be right now. I'm, I'm becoming who God wants me to be, but I'm all he is calling me to be right now. And he has such a, a confidence in that and in, in what God has done. He's holding fast. He's walking in what he's already attained that, that he's able to talk about his regrets in a way that gives God glory. He's able to say, I persecuted Christians. But he says, I persecuted Christians while acknowledging that Christ has saved him. Christ has transformed him. Christ has called him to something more. And this, I, I love people's testimonies. I love hearing people's testimonies because it just gives glory to God. I'll have people tell me some horrific things that they've done in their past, ways they've treated others, decisions they've made that are horrible. And at the same time, I get to see their life and what God has done in it. And what I don't, I don't think, I really don't, I don't think, wow, that person did something bad. What I think is, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine you doing that when I know you now. I'm thinking of one of my friends who, who had a drug addiction for years and harmed people in the middle of that, who was pregnant and had an abortion and, and destroyed the, the innocent life of a child in her womb. And I know her now. And, and the, the beautiful thing God has done in her life and how God has, has given her a capacity to love and show mercy and raise up others, it's astounding to me. I was talking to one pastor not too long ago. He's a youth pastor, older youth pastor. And, and he, I was giving him my phone number and he was putting it into his old flip phone because he wouldn't allow himself and his wife wouldn't allow him to have a smartphone because of uh, pornography use and how he had had an affair in the past. And this was like something, they, a boundary they had set up in their marriage. And he was able just to, to tell me about that. Like while he's getting my number to tell me about this thing that he'd done in the past. I'm thinking of friends of mine who, who spent time in prison, who spent time um, in prison for even violent things they did to others. But I know them now and, and God's done an amazing thing in their lives. And they're able to, to share about this because, of, because they're spiritually complete. God has done something in their lives and they know it's real. And so they decide to keep walking in that and share that with other people.
So Paul says all of this, and this is the final verse we're going to read from Paul. It's, it's verse 17. It really kind of goes into the next section, but I think it, it feeds into this as well. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Right? Paul, living with all these things he's done in his past, says, Hey, hey, imitate me. Don't imitate my past. I've forgotten that. I'm pressing on to what's ahead. Imitate me. Live your life like me. And here's one of the most beautiful things that happens when we have regrets and things we've done in our past, but we recognize that we depend on the righteousness of Christ and not our own performance. And we, we allow, we replace our past with God's future. And when we walk in what God has already done in our lives, when we really grab hold of these things and do them, we can look at others and say, hey, hey, imitate me. Hey, live, live your life like me. Hey, w- what you see me doing, you also do. And we can be so spiritually whole, so complete because of what God's done, that we don't have to be ashamed of our past. We can use that to point people to the goodness of God. And we can even talk about our regrets. And, and we use them to keep others from walking in that same way because they're imitating our lives now. And so God has given you a past. He's given you stories. He's given you uh, all, all, that, all that you've done in the past, and he's redeemed it now if you've repented and trusted in him to carry you forward to the future. And so for somebody today, in a very practical way, if you're living in that regret or in that shame, you need to, to speak out in your life what God has done, what you have done, and then how God has, has shaped it, how he's redeemed it. You need to share it with somebody else. Maybe it's a, it's a confidant, maybe someone, a pastor or a mentor in your life, or maybe you need to go to somebody who needs to hear your example so they can walk in who you are now and not who you were. But our regrets, when we bring them to Christ, he transforms them, he renews them, and he gives us a new level of living where we're mature and complete and can walk in what he has done, not ashamed of our regrets, but using them to bring glory to him. So I invite you to, to bow your heads right now together, and let's, let's pray. Father, we offer up our lives to you. Father, I ask that you take every regret, every bit of shame from people who are listening to this right now, and you would replace it with your goodness, that you would replace it with your righteousness, that you would replace our past with your future, that you'd help us to walk in what you have done in our lives. So, Father, we submit to you. We hand it over to you right now. We ask that your will would be done in our lives. Lord, at a very basic level of our emotions and our thoughts, would you help us to forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead? Not to stay stuck in what's around us, but but to focus on what you've called us to. And, Father, I pray that you would restore and redeem every regret we have for your glory and your kingdom. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.